Hey everybody, thanks so much for tuning in. I just want to pop in here for a second before we get started with the show and just say the Patreon is live. So if you want to go over there and hang out with us on the Patreon, building that community, that's patreon.com backslash uh, conscious environment creation. So patreon.com backslash conscious environment creation. And over there we have promo codes for the bonfire site so you can get a little bit off on your merch, whatever you want to grab over there. But we have behind-the-scenes footage. You guys can vote on different topics. If you want to be the producer level, you can actually just have whatever you want me to make a podcast about within reason, and I will make it. So let's let's hang out together. I can't wait to keep building this community with you. All right, on with the show. Thank you for tuning back into the Conscious Environment Podcast. This week, I got a chance to sit down with Micah Valentine, and we talked about the U.S. political spectrum. We talked about what a leftist is, what this has to do with the black community, and how you can participate if you would like to. But there was absolutely no way that we were going to fit this big of a topic into just one hour. So again, this is going to be part one of a two-part series. And for these ones, we're talking about the U.S. political landscape. So I hope you guys enjoy part one. Yeah, man. So let's let's just jump into it because a bunch of people they uh, they they had some questions already. So I'm I'm gonna jump into it, but uh, always start off with uh, you know who are you? What do you you do where can people find you okay yeah so my name's micah you can find me at micah valentine i really only do this shit on um tiktok i have a youtube that i'm trying to build up before i put content down i'm a uh leftist content creator i like to talk about strategy and organization is there a filter on my face right now why does it look like i'm going like wheel I, I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. I'm just going to ignore it for now. That's why. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I like to talk about, um, you know, issues in the leftist community. I like to talk about how we could strategize and unify and stuff like that. I also like to go over uh, black community topics, black issues and shit like that, black history, because I think Probably. it's important for leftists to understand history. What's going on? Mm. Cool. And yeah, I, I, I love that. And I, I like that we started here already because this kind of leads directly into one of my first questions that I have for you. We keep saying leftists and I was actually on a, uh, on a phone call, um, with a, uh, colleague of mine and he was talking and he was like, listen, man, I got to ask you because I think you'll know, but I keep hearing people say liberal and I keep hearing people say leftist and I thought those were the same thing. But now that people keep using them, not interchangeably, like they're using them with a decided difference. He's like, I just I don't know what the difference is. So I guess that's my question to you. You, you said that you talk about leftist spaces or you talk about, you know, points of view of things from the left. What does that exactly mean? What's the difference between a leftist and a liberal? So first of all, I got to say that it's awesome that in like the collective zeitgeist that people are starting to differentiate liberalism versus leftism, because, you know, <laughs> at some point, like 10 years ago, I would have been considered a liberal. So what I usually 
um, the delineation for me generally has to do with um, a solidified analysis on like anti-capitalist sentiment, because a lot of liberals, a lot of people in general, even apolitical people have anti-capitalist sentiment sentiments. They just don't know how to square it in their ideology. Understand? Like right. a lot of people are like, you know, this healthcare system is fucked, or like, you know, it sucks that we have to pay for we have to pay landlords for this, this, and that. They don't exactly have like the leftist analysis. So it generally, right. I think the difference between like a liberal and a leftist in the modern age is not so much a concrete ideological difference. It's just the fact that they aren't privy to like lefty analysis, which is going to be like on our burden to provide them. You understand? Like there right. are a lot of liberals that exist in lefty spaces. They just don't have like the analysis. But because of their actions, because of their political force, because that um, because they're putting their power behind the leftist political force. I would consider them leftists. Right. Yeah. Isn't there just like a a point in the spectrum that you end up just becoming a a leftist? Like you're liberal to a point and then eventually you become a leftist. And and that's the goal, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Are you sure conservatism is a liberal ideology? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Sorry to interrupt you. I was just reading that. No, 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 no. You're fine. Uh, yeah, uh, it, there's going to be a bunch of people asking questions because this is a, a this is a great topic, and a lot of people have a lot of questions. So yeah, there is. We also end up using like liberalism, leftism, uh, like leftist liberalism, Democrat. Sometimes people use those terms interchangeably, but don't realize that like there's a difference between ideology and political party. So yeah. it, it, political parties, that, that's a whole other bag of worms that we might get into. But I, I want to talk about ideology and that's, uh, that makes more sense for, for I think what we're trying to do here right now. Because I think a lot of people don't understand that like there is a lot of theory and learning behind it. So if you were to, I guess, introduce somebody to like a leftist idea – or what's a what's a starting point for someone who's like I think I agree with these things, but I don't know much about it. Mm, oh yeah, that is. I love that question because it generally has to do with where they're at, and like that's an important part of my philosophy is meeting somebody where they're at to see if I can get them to approach the gap the gap to make the leap across. Um, but generally, if they're just like your average working class schmo, I would generally bridge the gap by talking about voting in the workplace or things Mm. like worker co-ops, because these are, these are leftist concepts that a lot of people can grasp onto. A lot of people do not like their boss. They don't like the fact that they're, they're basically working for these faceless suits who you've never seen or talked to before in your life. And you're making them thousands of dollars off of every penny that you're making. You know what I mean? Um, I like to relate this through, I like this. I like to relate this through to the fact because a lot of people understand. A lot of people understand that certain things are a game, right? Um, you hear right. in like in more like conservative, maybe casually racist white demographics, they say things like, <laughs> "You know, I don't see color. I don't see race. This is just this is just the game that like the elites play." And I go, "Well, exactly." And the game has caused harm to certain demographics. You know what I mean? Right. So if, if you want to, if you want comrades to enter into the fray with you, if you want brothers in arms, we should probably do something about that game. You understand? 
Right. Yeah. So yeah, I, that it basically sense. is going to depend on like where they're standing, how I approach them. So but do there, we always, of, do you always kind of start with like our workplace issues kind of a thing that most people can usually glom onto? For the most part, but I don't like to ignore social issues. I think they're extremely important. I'm not, I'm not a person who's like a class reductionist. <laughs> yeah, I, I do not, I, I do not like class reductionists. And I actually think that, you know, in a lot of spaces, especially marginalized working class spaces, you can hit them with social and class issues, you know, especially in like black community and black community spaces. It's easier to point directly to white supremacy, to milk supremacy than it is in maybe right. like white working class spaces. Right. Yeah, exactly. So do you find, say, because you talked about like, and, and this is an anti-racism podcast. So we talk about, uh, how this relates to a, uh, how this relates to a, an anti-racism lens. So when you're talking about these, these topics and it comes up that like, this may affect, this may affect marginalized groups differently how do you kind of parse that when someone doesn't want want to be there? Hmm. How do I how do I approach the topic of uh, this this specific issue disproportionately targets a marginalized group and they don't want to accept it? Right. Yeah. Because I've okay. seen, I, I've just seen kind of a discourse on it, it feels like that side of TikTok where people are kind of saying like oh well, well i guess being class reductionist like this no it's not it, it this isn't a race issue this is really a class issue this is a top down kind of thing mm -hmm. like it's, oh, okay. it's 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 really just you know the elon musk's thumb on us that's that's who yeah. the problem is okay yeah so generally what i like to do because you know if if a person doesn't have empathy you can't exactly you know it takes it takes therapy to teach somebody empathy if they don't have it, have it. So, and generally when people are class reductionists, they like to view class solely under an economic lens. So I like to relate these issues as best as I can because they don't have the empathy lens to view how this disproportionately targets another community. I, I attempt to deliver this message to them under an economic lens and explain to them how lifting Lifting, see, you have like a hundred foot hole, right? And maybe there's a little stratification on different levels of this hole. And down here, you have a marginalized group. And up here, this is where you're at. Now, if you help these people who are about 20 meters below you, 20 feet below you, up, you now have a larger group to help you out of the hole. You know what I mean? So if you help somebody, if you help somebody who is below you in the class, you have strength in numbers to help you out of the class. So I try to relate it to something that they can understand. And then hopefully later on, they eventually decolonize and understand the concept of anti-racism in its fullness and class relations in its fullness so that they don't become a class reductionist. But in the meantime, I try to relate it I tried to relate it to the fact that there is a stratification of class and there is a disproportionate amount of pressure being held on certain marginalized groups that they, they are just not experiencing. Right, exactly. If that, so, makes, if that makes any sense. 
It, it, th- that makes a lot of sense. But let's do a quick definition, um, kind of a, a, a comma interjection here on a definition because we've said class reduction is probably 18 times just now. Yeah, okay. What What does that mean? Okay, so have you ever heard of people are talking about you're having a conversation, you're bringing up a, you know, uh, you know, black communities are disproportionately marginalized, they've been redlined and, you know, um, they've been ignored by the greatest society and government and politics. And then somebody goes, well, what about the white working class in the Appalachian Mountains or something like that? Um, all no no war but the class war which is originally as an anti-imperialist sentiment but people have bastardized that phrase to basically weaponize against any marginalized group discover uh discussing how to tackle certain issues that directly affect that axis of oppression so there are people it's generally in an obstructionist ideology worldview it's almost reactionary so like it generally has to do with like you're discussing anti-racism, you're discussing homophobia, uh, ableism, you're discussing patriarchy, and somebody wants to redirect back to the economic lens. They solely want to talk about their fight. It is, in essence, everybody's fight, but some people only have one fight. Other people have maybe five, six, seven, eight fights. You know what I mean? Right. And they do all they do all intersect and relate to class. But the problem is, is there things, there are things outside these, uh, these structures of like axes of oppression. They have taken on a life of its own. They've become an adult and they no longer suckle on the teat. And there's things outside of the economic lens that they affect these marginalized groups by, you know what I mean? Right. So like not every, like specifically dressing class issues, like say we have worker co-ops, that isn't going to address the race issue because we've had labor movements in this country in which, you know, black black leftists and black workers have been kicked out because the racist white people did not want to form a union with them. And this is an issue right. in which we are addressing class, but we're ignoring race just to focus on one single fight. You know what I mean? And that's something that's a mistake that we can't make again. Right. Yeah, exactly. So when someone kind of starts down this path, it's, it's giving uh, very much so uh, all lives matter kind of, kind of vibes, but but still trying to be, um, but still trying to be an activist in a sense, like all lives matter is very obstinate and to shut down the conversation. But I feel like this, this like, Oh, it's but it's actually about class. It's almost to level the the oppression playing exactly. field, kind of. Like, Everybody oh, yeah, wants we're to all feel be- oppressed. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> like we're all being oppressed. Like we're all under the thumb of the boss. And it's like, yeah, but like the black guys also get like worse shifts than you. Like we all get bad yeah. shifts, but we get worse shifts. So yeah, you know, maybe let's talk about that <laughs> or like have that. That's- I actually love that. I don't know why I never thought of that analogy before, but that's literally what it is. It's the all lives matter of like the leftist circle there. The class reduction. It's all lives matter. Yeah, that fucking makes sense. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's as you were describing it, that's exactly kind of how like in, 
you know, being ex- exclusively talking about anti-racism, like that's that's usually the the thing that kind of punches against me. It's just like, oh well, we don't have to just worry about black people. What about this? What about that? Like, what about yeah. all of the people who are having a problem? Like, you know, the the police are brutal to everyone. Yeah, yeah. but. It, you know, we have this. We have to start talking about percentages and do kind of triage with things. And people don't like activism triage. Uh, I think yeah. it makes them kind of get the willies um, yeah. because we have to talk about like, well, we have to prioritize these things in a certain way. Um, so if somebody is in that space um, wh- where they start talking about um, kind of classes as the the biggest priority and you're trying to have an intersectional conversation, how do you kind of, uh, what, what would your advice to somebody be to kind of speak to that? Like we, we need to circle back around to intersectionality. How do we get there from, from just this class debate? I like to think about it this way. I like to defer to revolutions of the past and concurrent in which Ultimately, if you're a leftist and you is a revolution is something you want, you want to build a better society, you have to prove to these populations, these demographics that you are worth fighting with, that there is something worth fighting for. You can't assume that they will pick up arms as your brother, as your comrade, if you know everything everything that you're telling them is pie in the sky. If you know, you have to prove to them that there is something that you could give to them, that you can ha- that you can fight their fight. You know what I mean? If you can fight for Black Lives Matter, black people are more likely to stand with white leftists. If you can fight with fight for land back, indigenous people are more likely to fight alongside us. If you can if you can show them that you can uh, participate in fighting back against some of the struggles against imperialism, um, a coloniza- colonization some of the elements of capitalism that directly disproportionately affect certain communities, then you can instill within them the belief that they, that you are their ally, you are their accomplice. You know what I mean? So it, you want to talk about in terms of like strength in numbers. Like, again, I'm talking, we're talking to this hypothetical straw man who doesn't have empathy, who doesn't inherently understand. And so I relate it in, I relate it in terms of like, because these are the these are these learned these conditioned blind spots. Some people don't have this, and I notice I notice this a lot with like male left uh, men leftists leftist men who have a problem seeing like certain issues that women face, or able bodied people who have a problem seeing certain things that disabled people face. You want them to fight with you, and they have a problem that needs to be addressed. You help them with their problem. And they help you. You have to give people something worth fighting for. If if it's not concrete, it's hard for people to imagine. You know what I mean? A lot of there's a lot of distrust in the black community with white leftists, and a lot of them are gaffled up into the white moderates because that's how they have been acting towards the black community. They've acting they've they've been acting arrogant. They've been acting belligerent. They've They've almost entirely ignored our communities, you know, even though black communities have been nearly at the forefront of 
nearly every civil and labor rights movement. You know, a lot of the right. rights that we experience and enjoy today are the result of black revolutionaries. Yeah, exactly. You know, just give some of that back. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I think uh, a lot of people, one of my kind of favorite things to to remind people or tell them or teach them for the first time is the full title of the March on Washington. Like, everybody remembers the, the speeches and they remember I had a dream and all that. But, like, and they, they, they can see the, the photo in their head. They can imagine all of that. But did, did y'all know that it was the... The March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom, for Jobs and Freedom, like it was, it was made by a bunch of trade unionists and yeah. anti-racists at the time, um, uh, uh, like uh, Bayard Rustin and a lot of these guys that were forming these these first black unions and kind of bouncing off of what you were saying earlier, like creating these um, these porter unions because. They had to because the white Porter Union wouldn't allow them the, to, to join at all. So they had to make their own unions and they were fighting for their own – For they were fighting for everybody. But exactly. at, at, at that time, it was just like, well, we'll, we'll put all of these things. We'll go to Washington with all of this because this and is – we can't forget – sorry, sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, go on. Yeah, we can't forget that, you know, this is generally this is largely around the time when it was illegal for black people to be unemployed. You know what I mean? You know, used to be beaten, killed in uh, jail if you didn't have your employment papers. You know, if you're kicking people out of labor union strikes, you are leaving them without any defense. And then, you know, if they have no choice but to become scabs, you know what I mean? What's going to happen there? You are now you are now vilified by the left community and by the greater community who right, exactly. literally made it illegal for you to not have a job. You know what I mean? Like black, black men, black women were being picked up off the streets if they forgot their papers one day and carried off to some government work camp for fucking six to nine months, making right. pennies on the dollar. And I feel like we can't just, we can't just ignore this type of history, you know? And like 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 you said, these labor movements were anti-racist and pro-working class. We can't just I don't I, I don't understand the delusion that some uh, leftists think that we're just going to capture conservatives through solely solely looking at this through like a class lens. It bothers me because it feels like we just don't know our history and we're about to repeat the things that have happened before. Yeah, there's a there are a ton of things that are almost like I I guess like the Republicans from 60 years ago, they're replaying the greatest hits. Like um, (laughs) a couple of weeks ago, I was just, uh, we were just talking about the, the, the migrants, the, the refugees coming here and, you know, uh, Florida and Texas sending them up to, to Martha's Vineyard as kind of some sort of weird gotcha moment and some sort of joke. But they did that back in the 60s with the reverse freedom rides where they sent them up to Cape Cod because of the same exact thing. Oh, my God. Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah. They were sending. Oh, my God. They, sent, they were they were basically lying to 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 black workers in the South and they were telling them, hey, you know, you'll be able to get a job. You'll be able to get this, all this stuff. The same, almost the same exact word for word kind of lie. They had flyers and they had buses and they would literally load them up on these buses. They tell them that they were going 
any any place different. It, it was a lot of times it was Chicago, uh, New York, even like kind of like Western New York sort of area, like kind of the Rust Belt kind of area where you end up finding a lot of black people landing anyway because of the Great yeah. Migration. But before that, during the Freedom Rides, they were doing the reverse Freedom Rides. So they're telling them, you know, we're going to go, we'll, we'll take you up north, we'll give you a job, we'll give you this, we'll give you that. And then, you know, you'll have all of these things and everything will be will, will be good for you. It'll work out. Yeah. We'll get you on your feet. And then instead of going to Chicago, they drove them all the way up to Cape Cod and literally dropped them outside of JFK's house. And know, just, fuck, oh, they're just God. I'm gone. holding on to that one. Yeah, yeah, Dude. and it, and it's it's wild, you know. What you're saying is 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 perfect about like knowing history and and understanding how these things tie together. Because it, if anything, conservatives or Republicans are consistent, but they're not super original. They kind of keep rehashing the same things every forty, fifty, sixty years. Um, they really do. Yeah. We get the we get the same things back in the back in the forties and fifties. Make America Great Again was was a right leaning political slogan, popularized by the Triple K. But I mean, they did it, and then you hear it in 2015, 2014, 15, 16, We start saying this again, but it's all it's all old hat. It's all stuff that we've done before. Uh, that we've heard before, that we've seen before. These guys remember doing it. That's why mm-hmm. <laughs> they're, they're they're trying to do it again. But I this guess is why history is so powerful, man. <laughs> yeah, like, history. And when you, when you when you focus when you don't focus on this stuff, you know, you you I hate the I hate the cliche, but like you kind of generally are doomed to repeat it. You know what I mean? Especially when you have power dynamics like we do in our current society. Like we're just going to continue repeating this, and people until people understand leftists and you know marginalized history in the United States. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Like we're gonna we're gonna keep playing this same game over and over again uh, f- for what feels like eternity until <laughs> until we learn something new. Until um, climate change throws right. everything out of whack. <laughs> <laughs> but um, as, as far as organizing in leftist spaces and you have run-ins with white leftists, this is a new phenomenon to me. And I, I'm coming to you as the season vent because this is something <laughs> that I didn't realize that there was such... I guess today such a still like racial divide or kind of this this sort mm-hmm. of quote unquote we we should all be the same kind of melding thing like ignoring race all altogether on the left usually the ignoring of race is 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 a right leaning thing we, yes. we feel like it so when when I heard of like white leftists being racist or doing something bad like that i'm like i was confuzzled i'm i'm like what do you what do you mean you guys are aren't we the good guys aren't you supposed to be the you guys say that you're the good guys the other guys right we're supposed to be the guys with the ideas we're supposed to have the correct analysis here (laughs) exactly yeah i watched a there was this clip you know who hassan piker is right yes 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 okay so it must have been like maybe a year ago, maybe two. I remember seeing a clip from him 
and was it Hassan? I think it was Hassan. And a black leftist on Twitter had mentioned that they receive more racism from the left than they do from the right. And he was like violently angry about that. And I just like, I want white people to sit down and think about that for a second. Because if you're a black leftist, you are trying to exist in a leftist space. So black leftists are cavorting with white conservatives. We're cavorting with white leftists. And I just, I, I don't, first of all, so there's, there's that, right? So yeah, we are facing racism from conservatives, but the fact of the matter is you are concentrated in this smaller community. And you're also around people from oppressor demographics who have a lot of blind sides, who haven't done the job of decolonizing their mindset, who are still dealing with their own um, with their own passive and active racism in their self. So it's it's perfectly reasonable to understand why a black person would be facing racism in a leftist space. I've had I remember making um, I made a video like maybe three months ago about how my account was like mass reported. I got permanently banned for a second. I had to contact TikTok. And it oh, was because boy. I was just saying things that like white male leftists disagreed with. And um, and I know it was them. And I heard that there was a discord about me. It was pretty weird. And then one of them commented because I hadn't blocked them on my second account. One of them commented is like, maybe it's because we're making room for real leftists. And it's like, okay, so you are now a white dude apologizing for racism because it's doing a job that you feel is beneficial. So this is where we're this is where we're at, right? We're deplatforming black leftists because they are they don't feel leftist to you. They don't they don't they don't they don't hit the what do you the, the sniff standard or whatever. And it's like <laughs> It's ironic because you're allowing racism. So you don't pass my smell test. You know what I mean? That's okay. The, to de-platform de a, a black left is, is okay. It, it using racism is okay. You know, and I've had people have said things like you're just like the black version of a liberal. Like you're fucking, you're, you're getting paid by, I don't know, black hammer. You're an op, this, this, and that, like. All of these things. Somebody's like somebody said that I was like getting paid by like Herman Cain and shit like that. Like, dude, isn't he isn't he like didn't he pass away or something? <laughs> like, what the fuck? You're getting paid uh, by the estate of Herman Cain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Candace Owens on the left. Yeah, like, the Candace yeah, Owens okay. on the left. And I think <laughs> um so there's a couple. There's I, I saw some th things fly by really quickly in the in the comments, but there's a couple things that I want to address uh, that we haven't talked about just yet. So as far as the whole political landscape of the United States goes, uh, so if you're outside of the states or if you're inside of the states and you didn't really know this, why it feels so strange that there's so many left, it, like there's so much like discord on the left, but there's. Uh, but on the right, it seems like they all kind of have everything together. That's because the United States actually skews to the right. So if you look at kind of any sort of global politic or anything like that, and you look at like a spectrum of like, so, so on, on one side is the left on the other side is the right. I don't know how this is coming up to you guys, but whatever. They're, they're two different sides, right? So it's a spectrum of where people are. People aren't just liberal Democrat and then conservative Republican and then there's there's two teams and they fight it it doesn't really work like that it's a spectrum just like anything else so people have different ideologies 
about different topics and different subjects. And those things uh, are on this entire kind of continuum. But the United States as a whole, as far as like our federal government and most local governments, all kind of shift to the right. So that's why leftists started, um, and this is my interpretation, why leftists started identifying themselves more like that is because liberals started becoming synonymous with the ideology of somebody who, if you gave an honest review of the spectrum, would be a moderate at best. Like they have some... For the most part, yeah. Right. So like the things that you would say is a liberal or a Democrat, you would go, uh, well, I mean, a leftist hears that, hears a liberal, liberal policy and they go... That's not far enough. It's a good start. Yeah. Sometimes it's a good start, but most of the time it's not exactly heavy what you on want. the sometimes. Heavy right. on the heavy that. on the sometimes. Because they really they really like their means tested. They like their means tested half measures. I'll say that very much. Like they Exactly. You know, and and it, and a lot of it comes to the point that, you know, I'm going to separate I'm going to separate establishment liberals from standard voting liberals for a second because established liberals right. know what the fuck they're doing but average liberals they don't have the leftist analysis to understand that these are not like this student debt cancellation there's some bullshit happening with that right now i'm not sure if it's even going to happen anymore although there might be another another emergency power that they could use but this does not address the problem that student debt is going to continue to be accumulated. It doesn't, right. all it does is temporarily alleviate it for the recent alumni and the current students. It doesn't address the issue that healthcare, uh, not healthcare, uh, well, yeah, healthcare, but college, right. universal education should be free. You know, it's not, and if you are a capitalist, if you want a highly productive, growing capitalist economy or whatever, you would probably support uh, free fucking college. <laughs> like, it's not really like it's it's a non-starter. You know what I mean? To saddle millions of Americans with debt, all it does is drag the economy down. But that's the point because capitalism is barely an economy. It's basically a game between elites to figure out who has the biggest empire. Whoever gets the biggest empire wins. You know, it's been largely the same with feudalism and mercantilism. All of these other econ economic uh, society, uh, economic models, they have basically just been a game between the wealthy, which is why, like these means-tested things, like they're not fixing the issue. But a lot of liberals think that they're fixing the issue, and we have to teach them that we could go farther. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. It, 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 exactly. Exactly that. Um, they literally made a game making fun of it. Like a literal game making yeah. fun of who gets the biggest, who gets the biggest <laughs> empire just wins the game. Like Monopoly, still, <laughs> Monopoly is literally a satire of capitalism. Like, I think, it, I think it was you that I heard say like people talk about like communism like it like on paper communism works on paper but it doesn't work in practice and I believe it was you it was like capitalism doesn't even fucking look good on paper like it, it like it, 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 it's it's such a it's such a bad idea but I think what where we get stuck with a lot of discourse is the idea of meritocracy 
And uh, it, it's more than just because, yeah, on, on paper, it makes sense to get rid of the debt of the civilians, right? Because then that means that they could spend that money on other stuff. It's not like people won't spend money. They don't hoard things. But the initial thought, because it's a capitalist idea, is that, oh, well, if they're not paying the money into this business that they owe, then they'll just keep the money and keep it for themselves. Like, like we're all like secretly little dragons that want our pile of gold underneath us. Mm-hmm. Um, but in reality, even with even with COVID and the lockdowns and those payments, we saw that people just went out and bought stuff. Like my, the most interesting thing to me that I saw was like a lot of people online uh, talking about like, oh, they're going to spend it frivolously. Like you're, you're just giving people free money and they're going to spend it. And I'm like, how do you think an economy works? Like, what, what do you think is supposed, what do you think kickstarts in a, we got to spend money. I'll tell so you the, how they think an economy works. They're the ones who never want to spend any public funding. All they care about is balancing the budget and austerity politics. They vote down any type of public works, anything that would actually help the economy. They don't want the economy to move because they don't care about the economy. You know what I mean? But they laud, they, they pretend like, I hate, I hate that we have let like capitalist bros take over the economy as like their position, their championing position, because they don't know shit about the economy. You know what I mean? They don't want right. anything to move. Yeah, they, they, they honestly don't. Like I was, um, I, I made a video that got taken down um, <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. But, app, bro. but Yeah, but basically uh, <laughs> saying that like people who say, oh, I don't want to pay for um, I, I don't want to pay for your your bad decision. Talking about the student loan forgiveness. I don't want to pay for your bad decision. My taxes shouldn't go to that. Well, what should your taxes go to? And my point was people love socialist ideas until they find out that socialist ideas help other people and then they don't like it anymore. But they're totally yeah. on board with all the all the things of a global pot of money going to pay for things because if you take a little bit of the money that we earn and then give it to a central place and then they spend it on things that are good for us because we need to share all of it. Like people think that they're that that having uh going back to health insurance. Like that's the most nauseating argument to have with somebody about health insurance, like saying like, oh, well, if we if we all have if we have universal health care, my taxes are going to go to paying for your health care. You already pay for someone else's health care with private insurance. That's how it works. But what about our private insurance? They're going to get rid of it. It, like, al- it already worked like that. Like how many times do you go to the hospital a year, dude? Do you think that other person on your pl- on your policy doesn't go to the hospital? Especially if you have your insurance through a job. Like you know everybody got that insurance, right? So what happens when Joe's wife who has cancer has to go you're technically paying for it, but you don't yeah. you don't care about that. You only care when they tell you. And then It's interesting cuz like that didn't used to be the case. Like this was this was a policy that was passed. Um, what was it? Maybe like the last hundred years or so. Like they used to just let you die, bro. <laughs> like, <laughs> like you didn't. Like if you couldn't pay for it, like your Audi. Like here's the stretcher. You know, here's the body bag. Like you. But then you know, 
then there's this, then they have this policy like you they have to do shit if you show up to the emergency room they have to help you you know what i mean and it didn't necessarily used to be the case right. everywhere in this country yeah exactly <laughs> just, just 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 let you die and yes uh um uh, Black Thinker podcast. Uh, yes, yes, money is not real. Not, not, none of it matters. Actually, nothing's real. Um, it's all it's all made up dollars, just for the sake of made up dollars, so that they can control us at some point. Um, yeah, at least mercantilism like had to do strictly with like the amount of resources you had. Given that, right? Still a bunch <laughs> so of at least you have to have stuff. Now we just have like we just tell people we have stuff. Now we yeah. don't even have. I don't remember the last time I carried cash. Like I don't, I don't. I, I pay don't for everything have, with a plastic card, dude. I haven't. Yeah, even I touched with a dollar bill and with a fake <laughs> with a with a little plastic card that tells you that I'm good for it because they the bank said that they're good for it, but like the bank don't even have that money <laughs> <laughs> because they said that somebody else is good for it. It's just it's just a train of of that. Um, but circling back to um, meritocracy, and I was actually just talking to somebody earlier today about like the bootstrap mentality and kind of the history. We're we're doing we're doing it all. They're talking about the history of that phrase, and I think it's kind of interesting that somehow we've turned that phrase, pulling oneself up by their bootstraps, from absurdist fiction from which it started like that's what it was it was a it was yeah didn't, it wasn't a, it a satire or something yeah it was like a german it, it started off as like this german satire where this man claimed that he was able to make a perpetual energy machine um <laughs> and it was it was but it was a it was it was this tongue-in-cheek kind of joke it was this big joke and then i think it's i think the magazine is called the american baron um, in the late 1800s, they referenced that in a critique of the political landscape at the time, saying that it's just as absurd as a man pulling themselves up by their bootstraps um, out of sinking water. Oh, in the yes, yes, I, I remember now. The story, uh, like the German story, was that a man pulled himself up by his hair. And uh, he pulled himself <laughs> in, by in his horse up out of a swamp by their hair by just pulling as hard as he could up. He was able to continuously pull himself up. But it was at the time it was a joke. In in the eighteen hundreds in America, it was a joke. It it was like yeah, that's as useful as doing insert thing that's clearly it was sarcasm of the day um uh and i don't understand how we've turned socioeconomic like movement being possible as and using an absurdist term to talk about it but with like we you do we do it with a straight face and lack of just, media literacy like <laughs> one of the problems with conservative thought is the inability to parse like media and to derive messaging from it. And like that's how you can see like, oh yeah, this comic where you have a car and you have a magnet attached to the front of the car, infinite perpetual energy. Yeah, <laughs> we should use that as like a like a whole like metaphor for like our philosophy, austerity. Yeah, dude, like 
you can do it yourself. Like, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Just turn on your car, turn on that magnet, and it'll pull you forward. Like, what? Yeah, it, it literally just has to do with, like, this media literacy, like, this failure to media, liter- like, to understand media. And I think a lot of it comes from, like, you know, if you're a conservative, you are getting your talking points from, like, political father figures. Like, a lot right. of this comes to, like, how how they operate. Like both psychologically and socially. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I feel like when it comes to like conservative like talking points, um, it, it's it's kind of like that game with Kevin Bacon, like Seven Degrees of Kevin Bacon. Like you can you can find a picture of somebody with somebody with somebody, and eventually get to Kevin Bacon. I feel like I can almost oh, yeah. I can almost I like sauce on that. Yeah, I feel like I can almost <laughs> boil down. Every conservative talking point to something awful that Ronald Reagan did specifically, mm-hmm. like everything bad that's happened, is it's, somehow. It's at the point where like I can come across like anybody on the internet and I know who they watch. Like it's yeah, that exactly. bad at this point. Yeah, the talking points are almost exactly the same. A lot of like, times, oh yeah, you watch Stephen Crowder. Oh yeah, you're a Ben Shapiro. Oh yeah, you're a Tim Pool. Oh yeah, you're a Kyle. Oh, oh not yeah, Kyle Kalinske. Um, yeah, exactly. You're Tucker that guy, Carlson. The Groiber guy, Nick Fuentes, or something like that. Like, oh, I'm glad that guy got got booted off the entire internet. That that's probably my favorite yeah, thing. But he somehow is he's awful. Somehow he's meeting with a presidential candidate. So you know, whatever. Unironically, uh, a good thing that all of these like yay. Um. Uh, what the f- I keep forgetting is Nick Fuentes and Donald Trump, like they're all meeting together. And mm-hmm. I think Milo Yiannopoulos, I don't know if you know about him. He's an awful character. He is, uh, uh, he is uh, Kanye's uh, campaign manager, I think. Oh, no. Yeah. Wait, <laughs> there's something he said like a long time ago about how he was going to like burn the Republican Party to the ground. And I think he's going to do it because well, if he Milo ends up fracturing... Huh? Yes, because yeah, because he got he got uh, kind of kicked out because of that all those kid comments that he, that he made at that conference. Rightfully oh, so, oh but like yeah. also you know half of the Republican fucking caucus is you know, fucking around with that shit. You know maybe maybe get those out of there too. But yeah, like it's it's initiating a fracturing like between media and uh, the political heads and. I think that's incredibly interesting, and I think that's super useful for the left. The fact that the Republicans are falling apart, which is causing the Democrats to move to the right to capture these disillusioned Republicans. And I just feel like the Democrats as a whole are the, the best, the most, the prime enemy. Because you're talking about Milo Yiannopoulos, a person with no power. All he was was a media figurehead. And he was able to get all of these groups together to directly connect Donald Trump to milk supremacy to directly connect Donald Trump and milk supremacy to the anti-Semitism of Kanye, just get this perfect trifecta down. And then has caused a cavalcade in, in the media pundits of like disavowing and supporting and fighting amongst each other, like Candace Owens against Ben Shapiro, even though Ben Shapiro pays Candace Owens, you know, and then Steven Crowder coming to the defense of Kanye. And it's like all of these characters who used to be in lockstep, are now like taking shots at each other, trying the best they can to preserve like whatever power base they have, but they don't understand that Republicans are such a massively smaller 
voter base than Democrats, that any fracturing at right. all could stop them from being politically viable, short of more v. Harbor. But like, you know, we'll we'll fucking hope for the best on that shit. <laughs> makes yeah, that makes my 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 skin itch. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it makes my blood boil. Uh, yeah, no, I uh, am so nervous about that. I wish more people were talking about that. Um, we don't have time to get all the way into that, but yeah, it's it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, yeah, but I think uh, what a lot of people. So why it feels like in my perspective, why, because I was asked before, like, how come it seems like Democrats can never get, can never get their shit together? And I think it's a few things, but the first thing is definitely messaging. Like, if the Republicans or the conservatives or whatever, the right, alt-right, is good at anything, they're really good at saying, this is what we stand for. And then they stand for that for years. Like, Roe v. Wade happened, right? And conservatives said, we're going to get rid of that eventually. Like, like Skeletor, they're like, we'll be back one day. And then they did. Yeah. Like, they bided their time for they played the damn near 60 game, years and was like, yep, we will eventually. It may not happen in my time. <laughs> but, like, it, like, that is some kind of, like, consistent messaging. But the problem mm -hmm. with the left side of the spectrum is there's a ton of different things that we all want to fight for. They just have to do one thing is stop everyone else. That's it. Mm -hmm. All their, their, their one thing. Home is field just, advantage, man. Yeah. They just have to, they just have to stop everyone from doing anything. And we have to get them to do everything. And exactly. I had this, I had this thought that maybe I'll turn into, into something is that if somebody wants to talk solely about a class system, it's because they don't want to recognize the racial caste system. And exactly. I think that is why the left gets so stratified a lot of the time is because we end up trying to just do the one thing thing, but, but we can't. <laughs> we can't do the one thing thing there there is obviously isn't one doesn't thing. work like that it, yeah. right yeah because we're we're fighting for indigenous and first nation people's rights like we're we're we're, we're fighting for them there's a there's a sign in my town that says stand with the seneca nation because of something awful that new york is doing to the seneca nation specifically here um right and i mean republicans like, are on the assault on every front you know what I mean? Right. It doesn't make any sense to be like, hey, let's just focus on this. Let's just focus on the North Front. Okay, what about the Eastern and the Western and the South? Like, what do you, like, there are people hurting everywhere. So you right. have to expand the messaging and you have to be consistent with it. And like, this is the, sorry to, sorry to cut you off, by the no, way. No, no, no. But you, you got me, you got me really excited with this. Because <laughs> like, this is something that I think is very beneficial for leftists to understand is that there are key differences between these corporate parties. They are both capitalists and they both serve. They're both the corporate. They're both the uh, political arm of corporations. But the right. fact of the matter is there is one that is being used for a focused goal that has that has less to do with 
specifically being the political arm of the corporations, and that is the Republicans. And they are extremely politically effective, so effective that they don't even necessarily need to grab institutional power to deconstruct liberal institutions. You know, Democrats do not have that. They don't have that in their bones. The longest game they've ever played was funding fascist candidates so that they could maybe mitigate a red wave in an off election. You know what I mean? Right. That's as far as their planning goes. This is not – the Republicans are not the enemy you want to face as leftists. They are fucking conniving and they're hella effective at weaponizing right. these institutions against us. You want the Democrats because even if they moved right, they don't have the capability that Republicans do. I honestly – if I was – if I was – I would – if this were any other world, I would be like, wow, these guys know what the fuck they're doing. Because they played a 60-year game and destroyed Roe v. Wade. Like, right. they, place, they place pawns on the chessboard. They destroy, they destroy executive powers. They kneecap all of these different other, um, all these other aspects of the government and empower Congress where they basically, that's their bread and butter, right? Especially these state legislations where a lot yeah. of these trifectas are Republican and stuff. And this is going to matter when we have more B. Harper. We're not going to get into that, you said, but like. Right, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just just look up the the Supreme Court case. SCOTUS is looking at it soon if they already haven't. I know it was supposed to start in, in this session, but more V. Harper, M-O-O-R-E, V. Harper. Just peruse what it's about. It's a quick synopsis. It's about your legislatures in your state to be able to contest um, the validity of federal elections. So mm -hmm. essentially, this would be able to allow state legislatures to throw out um, votes that or not votes, but throw out which way that the electoral college would go because they mm -hmm. don't have to actually do that, and it could allow for more gerrymandering. It 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 would do a lot if if uh, it's it's kind of this legislature rule sort of thing. It's this old old terrible idea from <laughs> from literally Arcade. the early 1800s like mm -hmm. late 1700s early 1800s so you, the, after um like before the constitution kind of like we yeah. we had we had this idea that like the legislature each state would be able to be in control and in power of itself and the legislature would be the most powerful thing and then we changed that and then we've kind of moved to more of an executive power kind of thing where the president is the most important person uh although don't believe that because like your your state legislature is the one that makes all the laws yeah. uh, so uh, we, we, we do yeah, have we moved into that. We do have, um, one trick up our sleeve regarding more V Harper, I believe. And have you heard of, have you heard of the national, um, how's it go? The national popular vote interstate compact. No, I haven't. Okay. So this is basically an agreement among, um, among, uh, state electors to throw their vote behind the popular vote. And mm -hmm. we are currently at, you have to reach 270, right? So we are currently at around 71, 72% of the way there. Mm -hmm. And this would effectively make the electoral college mute. There would be 
there would be no power behind the Electoral College because it would be entirely ignored. So this is an agreement, you know, what happened? Hillary Clinton had the popular vote, but she lost the Electoral College. So if the right. National Popular Vote Interstate Compact had been enacted, had reached 100% by the time that election had gone through, they 270 Electoral College votes would have immediately went to Hillary Clinton, thus making her the president-elect. So this mm. would be probably one of the ways we could combat Moore v. Harper. That's called the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact. You can look that up. And, I remember um, learning about it like a year ago. <clears throat> The, the theory that I was referencing, thank you, uh, somebody somebody dropped it in the comments. It is actually, it's the independent state legislature theory uh, that the, the state legislature should be independent from the voter base. Uh, it's kind of this idea that we elect the most intelligent people and they should be able to decide on federal matters and state matters because that's what we elected them for. Uh, so yeah, because we're not smart enough, right? Because we're not smart enough. Uh, it's giving them way more power. Um, yeah, it's it to me. It's up there with like the sheriff's rule. Uh, have you heard of this like thing where like sheriffs are supposed to be the supreme law? Uh, they tried to do this down in Texas. It didn't. It doesn't. Yeah, it never works whenever anybody does this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, 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 it never works. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty ridiculous actually. Uh, yeah. Black elusive man. It's like 72% of the way there. You know, it's a lot of people say it's never going to happen, but it's just like, it's kind of, you know, it's the compact, right? So like once we get the amount of electoral college votes, it kind of doesn't like, it's kind of just going to happen. You know what I mean? Right. I hope I guess, but yeah, I, you know, and that's with the independent with the independent state legislator theory, which you were talking about. As a person, as like an ANCOM, right? Um, I'm not a I'm not a person who's very big on like the central authority and like the state monopoly and stuff like that. But what does give me the fucking heebie-jeebies, bro, is like the way fascists lean back on states' rights, because states have ex- like a so much fucking power to literally combat federal law, like national law, right? Like you know. Biden could be like, yeah, we're going to cancel student debt. And some small time fucking judge and bumfuck Alabama can be like, nah, we're not doing that. And now it's got to go to the Supreme Court. Like right. how in what world does that make any sense? If we're talking about hierarchies, if we live in a world where there's hierarchies. This guy up here is like, yeah, we're going to cancel some student debt. And this guy like below the floor is like, yo, no, we're not doing that. Exactly. And I think kind of bouncing back to like our understanding of of history and you anybody who's like who wants to understand like constitutionality of some of these things or like uh, you need to read the Federalist Papers. Um, they're, they're an audiobook form. They're in short form. You can figure, you can, you can go through them. There's a bunch of them. They mentioned them in that, in that awesome musical that's on Disney plus. You can, you can, you can, you can, you can listen to them. Um, but Madison, when he was talking about the differences between the federal government and the state, and this is how the federal government is supposed to work with its powers. So this notion of the federal government is taking your power, but we have to give the power back to the states. That's not what the federal government does. The federal government has always been to give the power to the people in spite of the states. 
Because every time you give the decision back to the state, you give it to a bond, you give it to a smaller pile of people. And so like giving – hopefully this doesn't get taken down right now because I'm about to say this. But like talking about Roe v. Wade. Like so what actually happened with Roe v. Wade? The federal government stepped in and said that each individual person within a state should be able to decide about this procedure in themselves. They should have – domain over whether or not this procedure does or does not get done to them within this purview, right? And then after a certain amount of time or whatever, then state laws can kick in or depending on how egregious the law is, there's a federal ruling on it, right? So that was the people had the power to decide this idea. Throwing it back to the states means that the state can decide for the people, mm-hmm. not that it gives the decision back to the state. The central entity has the decision making now. So the overturning of Roe v. Wade didn't give the power back to the people. It gave it back to the states and took it from the people. The federal government's whole entire role, what they're supposed to do, is to make sure that the states don't take shit from its people. because we're all a group of states that all live together and near each other. So whenever we're crossing state lines or anything like that, that's when the feds get involved. That's where federal government Mm -hmm. has something to say about it or something to do with it. Um, uh, which is kind of a funny, funny thing. Uh, I, we might end up having soon, uh, federal legislation over, uh, social media apps because of Elon Musk. Have you heard this 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 theory? Oh, this, this fucking thanks, Elon. Because Bro, Elon, you had to bring because, the feds into it. Well, what happened? Dude, was, conservatives ruin everything. I swear <laughs> to God. Like that's the reason why leftists get so much shit on the internet. Because I remember a time when it was a lawless wasteland. Okay, and maybe it wasn't that great. But the minute you know conservatives did their, their fucking you know their shenanigans on Jan Six, you know that's when everything went to hell. You can't like. Leftists cannot joke anymore. They can't even exist on a platform because of the bullshit conservatives have been doing and talking about. Right, exactly. <sighs> and oh so this is this is what Sorry had to happened. Interrupt you. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. You're fine, man. This is a what had happened was moment with Twitter. Yeah. So because so interstate commerce, like I was saying, so if it if it affects anything inter interstate or international where the federal government has to be involved in it, something like, I don't know, the stock market. Let's say the stock market gets drastically affected by, I don't know, a social media app, maybe one named Twitter. Who knows? We're just making this stuff up. So let's say Twitter, who's owned by Elon Musk, and Elon Musk does a bunch of random dumb stuff and changes things about Twitter. And Twitter ends up losing a lot of validity with uh, a lot of its consumers. It ends up losing a lot of businesses, a lot of money, all at the same time. And everything is fake. So the stock market is basically just like, I think this is probably a good company, so we'll give them more money. But if they start doing stuff that we're like, uh, maybe they're not a good company, we'll give them less money. And that's how that's that is the most oversimplification I can of the stock market. But so it, once you start losing faith in things, that's when things drop. So because there was such a drastic dip in the stock market, which is the domain of the federal government. There's now uh, there there there's now um, 
federal senators talking about, uh, or Congress is talking about, like, maybe we should start looking into how much power these social media apps have. Because you never mess with the money, man. He messed yeah. with the money. <laughs> you weren't that, supposed uh, to no. mess with the money. Thank you guys for listening again. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed recording it for you. And uh, just a reminder that this is only part one of a two-part episode. So tune in next week for the conclusion on the U.S. political landscape and our thoughts and ideas on it. But please do remember, this is recorded live every single week, every uh, Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right there on TikTok, um, on my page. That's I, Def Overthink, I-D-E-F-F, Overthink. If you want to support the show monetarily uh there are links down below to cash app or venmo or if you can't do that please just rate and review on whatever podcast app that you're listening on and remember i want you to go drink water and and i love you but 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 drink water please please stay hydrated peace <laughs>